from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Take off all your clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. Okay. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. Hi, this is Michelle. And this is Mark. And wow. You got nothing to it. I've got nothing. It's funny too because we were on all <laughs> cylinders just a minute ago, but now I'm coming up with a blank. That's okay. We will we will go with our standby question of the day. <laughs> Which, oh, here it comes. Come on. We got to know how your tiny house conversion, garage conversion, construction that's why Project we need a name for it. it. Yeah, I know. we had a name and we forgot. Yeah. Mark, Mark and I did. Doghouse? Well, well, we I thought it was something else I after that. I thought it became that. something kind of foreignized. Yeah. yeah. But I don't remember. Um, anyway. Hoofhouse. Uh, I remember thought it was like Frida. Hoofhouse. I'm really proud of myself. Over the last two days, I completely framed in the bathroom. And the contractor is going to put in the windows today or maybe tomorrow because I don't want to do it because I don't want them to leak. And um, we have the second floor all laid in, but the access hole to the second floor where the stairs are going to go is, um, it's it's 18 inches, the same width of my stairway. Um, but my, my friend who's helping me build the tiny house, he's a portly gentleman, and he can't get through the hole. So <laughs> we're going to have to widen... <laughs> We're going to have to widen the hole by about five inches so that he can get up there and help me build the knee walls on the second floor. So I'm the last person to be judgmental. <laughs> first of all, let's just say that. I can, because when I designed my stairs uh-huh. to my loft, I stood on a ruler, right? And so I said, well, how wide should my stairs be? So I stood with my feet together. I put a ruler on the floor and then I stood in the middle of the ruler and I went, okay, 18 inches should be about right, right? That's what we thought. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, um, I didn't measure the width of my ass, <laughs> <laughs> number one. And number two, my stairs, I don't know about yours, but my stairs actually float up the wall. So yeah. one side is the wall. And mm-hmm. so I can't stand in the middle mm-hmm. of the stairs mm-hmm. as my um, less than thorough research um, <laughs> was conducted without that dynamic at play so long story short um i did that too yeah so it's interesting i'm my glad you figured it out before you actually you. installed yes, well, your several thousand dollar pair of stairs or set of well, stairs well right it's interesting because we're gonna build our stair the, the stairs from scratch we did the calculation on the internet over the weekend but what's interesting about the tiny house i'm building is that the entire second floor is walled in there's no loft aspect to it so the access is through a hole in the f- ceiling so full ceiling full height. ceiling high eight foot ceilings on the first floor second floor is um i think it's four and a half or five feet tall at the peak because it's a gabled roof right so you walk up you walk up the stairs through this hole right and then the entire upstairs is it covers it spans the whole length of the tiny house no egress no window that pops out there's a window upstairs okay. yep okay um so yeah it's gonna be very cozy up there it just looks so i'm so excited i'm kind of feeling like how you probably felt when you were start starting to build yours for the first time and then i'm also learning a lot of really cool skills because i've never built anything like this and i was telling our guest in the studio today um that the um 
the fact that it's being that we're building it in a garage, so I don't have to do the roofing, I don't right. have to do the exterior walls. It all that's done mm-hmm. allows me to kind of cut my teeth on the somewhat simpler aspects of building something. and the creative aspects of building yes rather than the technical aspects yes. of building because the technical sucks <laughs> you'll find me at ikea i love the picking out the pillows and the <laughs> curtains and the flooring and the shit um <laughs> i hate like the technical aspects right? but but when you're building one yourself of course you, you don't have any choice you kind of have to muddle through it but yeah. i i totally get that i'm kind of jealous actually the whole sounds very Alice in Wonderland. Doesn't it? Like there's going to be a caterpillar handing you a bong when you get up there. Oh, Ooh. Ooh, Perry likes Ooh. that one. Even if, it's just, even if it's just for decoration, a hookah up there would yeah. be awesome. And some inspired artwork. Right? Like welcome to the hole or welcome <laughs> to the hole. Or- Maybe paint a little wall, a, a sign on the, on the hole. This is the hole. This is the hole. Maybe when, you know, something trips something and like the doors break on through to the other side goes off every time somebody goes up there (laughs) actually it would be nice for art to like paint something from alice in wonderland on the sash of the hole like a saying or something oh that would be be very 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 cool or you could do what i did next to my entrance what'd you do please remove shoes pants optional Ooh, i like that one (laughs) because i'm gonna do you through your pants <laughs> okay then, Ethan. <laughs> good morning, You're Ethan. Still there? Hello. I'm still here. <laughs> oh, good. Yay. Good for you, Ethan. How are you this morning? I am very good. It's actually the afternoon here now. Oh, where oh, are yeah. you? Oh, Vermont, I, Burlington, Vermont. Yes, Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> I got so engrossed in telling my story that I forgot your story. No worries. That's I okay. Was the just listeners haven't about heard taking it, off so. my pants just to join the party. <laughs> <laughs> See, at least some people follow my directions. <laughs> <laughs> it was optional. Um, so, uh, Ethan, who is, we're going to find out more about in a little bit, met Michelle at the. Michelle, why don't you tell the story? Why am I telling the yeah, story? Yeah, really, exactly. Tell the story, Michelle. How did Ethan meet us? I you. Ethan met. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the the amazing opportunity. I was invited to um, speak at Tiny House Summer Camp uh, in Vermont, in the real, real, real backwoods of Vermont. Actually, um, here on the West Coast, um, you know, we have a really, really tight knit um, sort of tiny house community. But I haven't had the chance to meet a lot of people on the East Coast. So the Tiny House Summer Camp was actually three days. I went to Vermont for seven days. Uh, me in a rental car in Vermont for seven days. It was it was amazing. It was really fun. So Ethan was another speaker there as well. Um, his pictures turned out much better than mine. <laughs> um, there's some really amazing pictures of his speech. And, and um, so we got to chat about, um, you know, his contribution to the tiny house movement. Uh, we got to chat about his, his, new, uh, his new bride a little bit. And I wanted to invite him so he could tell, um, tell you guys all about it and tell the rest of the world a little bit more about his story. Awesome. And so Ethan, um, let's start with this question. I understand you're making a living as a tiny house blogger. That is true or, or some part of a living. How did, how did that come about? It came about, I would say by accident. Um, you know, building the tiny house was, um, the goal for me was not to turn it into a business. It was to have a tiny house. Um, and I, you know, I started a blog right when I started building and I pretty soon realized that it was 
damn near impossible to put in a full day of construction and then go home and write a coherent blog post documenting what was going on. So the blog kind of just (laughs) devolved. (laughs) The blog just evolved into a Facebook page that I just kind of posted snapshots to as I was building. Um, And by the time the house was done, I think the page had about 4,000 likes without, you know, no strategy, no promotional budget or anything like that, just completely organically. Um, I think that had to do with the timing. Um, You know, I was building, I started in June of 2012 and finished uh, in the fall of 2013. So it's kind of like right as tiny houses seem to enter the the mainstream consciousness, I would say. Um, And so for about a year after finishing the house, I just, you know, kept getting questions through this Facebook page nonstop. You know, why did you choose this heater over that heater? What did you use for insulation? What kind of roofing is that? And at some point, um, a friend of mine who smarter than myself said, man, you, you've got to write a book. These people, people like want your expertise. They want your knowledge. And so, um, that is kind of what, what birthed tiny house decisions, which is, basically the one main product that I sell. It's kind of the, my one and only, it's like basically all my thinking in one place for, for kind of puzzling your way through a tiny house. So you, you don't live in a tiny house now, do you? Not full time. Um, so my now wife, Anne, um, owns a small condo in Burlington. Um, so we have always split our time between the two houses. Um, for a number of reasons, and they're um, they're about an hour apart. One's you know one is in the city and one is in the country, and so we we kind of we have uh, we joke that we have two homes, but the total square footage of both of them put together is is under a thousand square feet. Nice. And so, um, where is you said your tiny house is? I presume it's the tiny house that's out in the country, not the condo. Exactly. Okay. So what what kind of living situation is it? in and like like are you renting or do you own the land and what is the state the legalized conditions of living in a tiny house in vermont where you are sure well um the land is land that we rent um and it's a really i mean it's it's so ideal it's a gorgeous setting right on a pond hidden from the road um you know with a spring that you know, if our water comes from the ground, it's kind of amazing. Um, the legal situation in Vermont is pretty much the same as it is most other places. And that is that it's kind of a gray area. Um, and I have chosen to not, uh, ask permission of the town where I am living. I, you know, I'm pretty sure they know I'm there. Um, my neighbors certainly know I'm there and, um, you know, it's been, just about three years now. So, um, you know, in Vermont, there's a lot of, a lot of open space. It's pretty rural. And I think the, the housing, the the code enforcement is pretty lax once you get out of cities such as Burlington. Yeah. 
when we were at Tiny House Summer Camp, Deke, um, it was hosted by Derek Diedrichson. Um, Deke, uh, he told a story actually about the Vermont building codes, a.k.a. there are none. <laughs> so, you know, um, he, again, he tells a rather funny story. We'll have to hear it sometime about the post office slash fire marshal slash chief of police slash city clerk office. <laughs> And you go to them and you're like, I'm going to build a house. And you give them like a hundred bucks or something. And then when you're done, you go back and you say, okay, I'm done. You want to come see? And they're like, yeah, we'll put you on the list. Um, he has a friend of his that builds a house. Uh, he's been living in it for seven years, I think. And they have yet to wow. come out and even like see what it is. So so um, you're, it's not, again, officially legal anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, out of all the places I've been, I have to say that probably Vermont has some... some and again, it's because of the open spaces. Yeah. Um, the kind of, there's also, you know, when you, when you drive around and you see, you know, there's a lot of farms here, a lot of dairy farms. You will right. see campers and RVs with the bump outs open, um, with the lights on, you know, people live in RVs and campers here um, at least part of the year. So it's it's. I think it's a little bit more accepted. And now I will I would say the the caveat is that you know again it depends on the town that you're in because if you, you know, tried it in Stowe, Vermont, or you know, one of the fancier ski towns, or even in Burlington where I am now, um, they are much more strict about those kinds of things. Yeah, Stowe was amazing. I actually got lost in the middle of the night and found myself in Stowe. It's actually called the Aspen of Vermont. So very highbrow, very resortish. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they would, of course, have much stricter standards as compared to the rest of the state. Yeah, yeah. So Ethan, do you, you live with, so part of the time you're living with your wife in her condo? We, we live together in both places. We generally okay. try to go back and forth together. Um, she's a nurse, so she works um, at the University of Vermont, um, the, the big hospital here. And um, so she'll work for three or four days in a row. Oh, and right. so we'll kind of base ourselves in Burlington while she's working. And then, you know, she'll get a few days off kind of a rotating block mm-hmm. schedule and then we'll mm-hmm. go out to the tiny house and spend a few days out there um what, what, it's interesting it's like all of our friends are here in burlington mm-hmm. and then all the cool things that we're doing are out at the tiny house like we're we've been keeping bees for a year and a half now we're growing we, we have a little mini garlic farm that ann really wants to expand she's kind of addicted to garlic um are we all yes well me too <laughs> So yeah, so all the fun projects are out there. Nice. So you, so when you're out there away from the city, you're cultivating bees and you're growing garlic. What else are you doing? I mean, really? Uh, we love to <laughs> ski. What does a brand new husband and wife do in a tiny house in the middle of the woods? Okay, just saying. Just fill into the clean, blanks. We clean. We clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take that long to clean, though. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> That's what they call we it ski. now. We, we ski a lot. There we go. So how did you how did you come across the um the tiny house movement? You know, my first exposure to it was um seeing posters for tiny house workshops posted around uh Johnson, Vermont. Huh. This guy, Peter King, who he's still doing them. It's called Vermont Tiny Houses. Um, and he does basically framing workshops where you frame like a 10 by 10 
tiny house on, you know, on a foundation or on, um, on post and pier kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I saw these posters and it kind of, I filed it away in my memory bank. I think at the time I was like, I would love to do something like that, but I don't own land and I don't want to own land at this point. So that's cool, but not right now. Um, and at some point, I stumbled upon uh, Tammy Strobel and Logan Smith. Um, Tammy runs a, a popular blog called RowdyKittens.com. Oh, yeah. Um, and they um, they had a tiny house on wheels built by D. Williams, by um, Portland Alternative mm-hmm. Dwellings. I think it was in 2012. So I, you know, I saw their tiny house on wheels, and that was it was just the perfect time in my life. It just made perfect sense to me that this is what I needed to do next. Mm-hmm. And, and so, <clears throat> so did you, do you have carpentry experience? I do now. So, so yeah. <laughs> so when you started, you didn't. No, I, you know, I'd gone to one of Peter King's tiny house workshops. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I understood basic framing theory, um, and I helped my dad build my mom a chicken coop. So I built a very tiny house for chickens. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I, I didn't really have any carpentry skills. Um, so it was it was very slow going for the first three months. Um, you know, I worked basically alone. You know, I'm very analytical. I'm very, you know, I love to research. I definitely overthink things. So, you know, I would like... I'd have the framing plan for a wall and I would literally like write down a list of the exact measurements of each piece and the angles. And I would try to just draw the whole thing out and just like, I was going so slow. (laughs) By month three, I had um, two walls. I had the, the subfloor framed and attached to the trailer and I had two walls framed, but not actually stood up on the, on the frame, on the building. Wow. Um, so, some point I realized that if I didn't like bring on some carpentry help, then I would probably never finish it. Um, wow, that's amazing. So, so I, for our listeners it, as a comparative, just real quick, um, my house was framed. Now, granted, I hired out a framer. My house was completely framed and dried in in 14 days. Wow. <laughs> that's amazingly fast, too. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you hire a crew, you know, if you hire um, somebody who knows what they're doing, right. yes, right. Yeah, to, to work full time, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so you had said that um, you had no interest in owning land. Where does that come from? Why, why is that? You know, at the time, I mean, mainly financial. I mean, the the big push for me with the tiny house was trying to radically reduce my my living expenses on a month to month basis. So. You know, I was spending about fifteen hundred bucks a month in rent, and you know, had been renting for the I, probably the last ten years. You know, ever since I left home and went to college. So, um, you know, the tiny house to me was okay. I can I've got some savings, certainly not enough to buy any land or a house upright uh, outright, but I could probably build a tiny house with this savings and then find a really inexpensive place to park it. And reduce my living expenses by, you know, maybe a factor of 10. Um, And it wasn't that, it's not that I don't want to own land at some point, but at the time I also had just moved to Vermont. 
and I wasn't, you know, a hundred percent sure that I wanted to stay there forever. And I just, I saw owning land as, as a burden more than a benefit. Where, where did you move from and what were you doing before you became a blogger? Um, I had moved from Schenectady, New York. Hmm. Um, and I, you know, in Vermont, I was still working for a couple of years, um, in kind of the same career that I was in, which was, uh, developing online training for, for corporations. So basically working, working for companies, helping them train their own employees. Mm. So like when you get a new job and you have to take that like really boring HR, like acknowledgement training, uh-huh. On the computer, like mm. I made that. You're that guy. You're that guy. Yeah, I'm that guy. You're you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and then it you looked, have to do the refresher courses every year. Yeah. And it looks like Although mine it, was more software training, so I, I I had a little bit more fun with it. I think. I see. And it looks like you're, uh, as opposed to bloggers that have attempted to make money online with the tiny house movement and sell ads through Google and this kind of thing. It looks like you're really more of the sales funnel guy, where you're actually selling books and PDFs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a product that I created that I, you know, I think actually I know it's really helpful. I get I've actually gotten emails from people now who have who bought the book and have built a house since then and said that it was very helpful. Wow. Um but yes, that's that is my model that I'm um I'm not trying to turn a million visitors into like micro payments, you know, through Mm -hmm. Google AdSense. It's more about finding people who are actually thinking about building a tiny house and hooking them up with, you know, information that's going to help them. Yeah. We have the tiny house parking book has over 70 reviews on Amazon. Wow. And I've never even seen anybody write a doc. Well, you know, there's been articles obviously on tiny house parking, Mm -hmm. but not an entire book on it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's kind of my other, that's like the stepchild of tiny house decisions. It's the smaller kind of Amazon product that I have out there. And it is helpful too. So why don't you um, plug your your book, Tiny House Decisions, by telling us what generally is in it. Sure. Um, So it's broken down into uh, three main sections, which are the big decisions, construction decisions, and systems decisions. Um, And the idea is not to like tell you here's how to build a tiny house, like step one, frame your subfloor. Here's how you, it's, it's not a building manual. It's, it's a decisions guide. And so I take each decision, for example, you know, what should I heat my tiny house with? And I present all the options. So you've got wood, you've got propane or natural gas, you've got mini split, you've got electric. I go through the pros and cons of each option I say what I did in my house and whether I'm happy with it. And then I kind of, the, the idea is to inform the reader about what options are out there, not tell them what to do. Right. Um, and so it kind of follows that format for, for all of these decisions. You know, it starts with the big decisions such as, you know, how tiny should I go? Should I build it myself or with help? You know, should I do it on wheels or stationary? And then obviously goes through all the, all the systems, and then into some of the construction techniques. This um, is, it's a good yeah. book because you're not trying to tell people how to do it, and that lends itself, it seems, to the tiny house movement where many of these people are wanting to do make their own decisions. Exactly. People want to make their own decisions, and I respect that. It's more like 
you don't have to spend hours and hours researching types of insulation because I've already done it. You can read the insulation chapter and make an, uh, an informed decision. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, tell us, uh, okay. So we had a little, st- uh, in, in studio full pod just a moment ago or just, a no minute. worries. Um, so let me get back on track. Um, Can't let it match. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Open the door. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, what's the what's the most interesting thing um, that you've experienced along your tiny house journey so far? The most interesting thing, you know, I think the most interesting thing is that tiny houses are they're almost like magnetic for people. Um, I've yet to meet someone who has seen photos of my tiny house who wasn't like immediately charmed. Hmm. It's almost like it's like seeing a picture of a puppy or a kitten or something. <laughs> just kind of <laughs> kind of so melts hearts a little bit. It does, yeah. Um, and it, it just always brings out this kind of wistful like does this kind of other side of people of of like every, I think everyone yearns for a simpler life and they can see the benefits of tiny house living no matter how large they're living currently. So I think as a, as a form of connection and a tool for connecting with, with strangers or, you know, you get introduced to someone at a party and they're like, Oh, Ethan lives in a tiny house. It's just such an amazing connection and topic to start on rather than like, where do you live? You know, what do you do? So I think the connection element of it has been the most interesting for me. Interesting. Um, you have an interesting way of ending your answers because <laughs> it, it, it kind of catches me off guard. Like, oh, he's done. Uh, Michelle, did you have a question? Do you need like a safe word? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's looking for the inflection. Exactly. That, that uh, at the exactly, end of the sentence. Exactly. That's exactly right. Is that just a Western culture thing uh, or maybe what? Maybe it might be. I don't know. Um, um, so actually, Ethan, so on the subject of tiny houses, um, People accuse me, uh, people in my life um, that are not part of the tiny house movement, accuse me of being a bit of a one-trick pony um, because I can turn absolutely any conversation about any subject into a tiny house conversation. Especially about her tiny house. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about me. (laughs) And your tiny house. It's only taken Perry two years to figure out. (laughs) Exactly. We're just allowed in the studio. Exactly. (laughs) So this is a very long-winded way of saying, how does your family, how does your wife's family, how does your immediate family kind of feel about the tiny house? Are they tired of hearing about it? They (laughs) want to talk about bees and garlic um instead of your tiny house how how does everybody else in your life feel about this change everyone has been incredibly supportive i don't i don't think i really had any big naysayers um in fact ann's dad one of the first times i actually hung out with him he let me well he he actually brought me in his truck to the trailer shop where i had bought the trailer and he helped me move the trailer to the building location which was pretty cool Um, honestly, I'm not sick of talking about it with them. I'm kind of sick of people being like, oh, did you see this tiny house thing? Cause like, I'm always like, I guarantee you I've already seen it. Like, it's just like, it's already blown up my newsfeed at some point. So I'm just like, you don't need to send me the latest tiny house article. That's very sweet of you guys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I probably wrote it. (laughs) 
you know, it's just like, you know, Facebook shows you what you're already interested in. So, <laughs> you know, I like a million tiny house pages and I post about tiny houses all the time. So you can be damn well sure that every single tiny house trending news thing has already crossed my newsfeed. <laughs> so what would you change? Um, your decisions book goes through the positives and the negatives. And the one thing that I found interesting about your verbal introduction was you said, I, I, I tell people in the book if I'm happy with it, if you're yeah. happy with your decision. What's the number one thing that comes first to mind about what would you change? Um, I have a bunch of things, actually. Um, on the kind of bigger, more just design level, um, two things. I'm sick of my ladder. I would, I wish I had designed stairs. Um, and just because of my gabled roof and just the, the way the whole place is laid out, it would not be that easy to like retrofit stairs in. Um, and I, in seeing tiny houses that, that, have the entry door on the long side rather than the short side. I really like the way that that creates almost an L-shaped seating area because you can walk in the door and say to your right is the short wall and then along the back wall you can have this L-shaped kind of couch. And I in my house it's kind of because the door is on the short end the couch is just a straight line and the the whole thing is kind of like it's like tunnel like it doesn't feel like a tunnel because it's very, very bright and very sunny and, and it's lovely. But, you know, when there's more than two or three people there, you kind of get there isn't the right shape for people to sit around and, and like interact with each other. Yeah, the um, the the best example I've seen of what you're describing, the alternative, the door on the side is the long side is um, Abel Zimmerman's Little Bird. Mm which is as it, it's, the door is smack dab in the center of the long side. And then <clears throat> it's, it's just really, really spacious because of that. And it doesn't feel like that tunnel that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, um, you know, to, to add to that tunnel feeling, I, I decided that I did not want the wheel wells protruding into the space. So I built between the wheel wells wow. rather than, you know, incorporating them into the interior space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I lost about six inches of inside space, six to eight inches of inside space because of that, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it you know, when I go into a house that was not framed between the wheel wells that mm. goes outside of them, I'm like, wow, this is really wide. <laughs> <laughs> it's so big. Yeah, exactly. It's so huge. <clears throat> Yeah, interesting. So when we were at Tiny House Summer Camp, um, you the one thing that I learned, um, let me see, your speech was a lot about winterization of tiny houses um, and what to do and what not to do and how to do it and, and what are the advantages and disadvantages. And, and you kind of burst my bubble a little bit because I thought I was all that. Um, I have an externally vented propane heater. Um, and I have some, some heat tape wrapped around the exposed source lines. And so I'm thinking, Hey, if it gets cold, I'm, I'm okay. I just plug in the little, plug in the little heat tape warmer and it keeps my externally vented hot water heater perfectly fine. And I've got propane. Um, and then you, inf and then you reminded me that when the power goes out, 
<laughs> propane or no propane without the heat tape I don't have any hot water anyway so it was an aha moment for me and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that for our listeners um, talk about where your tiny house is what the winter is like um, your show is going to come out right about the time that our weather even on the west coast is going to start to get ugly so can you just talk a little bit about that um, um, for me if if nobody else wants to hear it I do yeah absolutely Um so just quickly, my house, um, you know, it's in northern Vermont. It's in like a mountain valley kind of high up. And it gets pretty cold um, towards the end of this month, towards the end of October. I mean, we already have nights that are in the 30s right now. And um, there can definitely be snow on the ground at Thanksgiving. And it'll pretty much stay cold through the end of April um, you know, you can still have some freezing temperatures late April, even early May. Um, so yes, very cold here. The house itself, um, I went with spray foam insulation, which, um, based on my research was the best option for extreme cold or extreme hot. Um, it offers the most R value. So the most insulation value per inch. Um, and it also seals your um, sheathing to your studs. So it, it actually acts as what's called a vapor barrier, um, which is important in a cold climate. And so, you know, obviously insulating your tiny house is is the first most important thing for, for winterizing. And obviously that's not something that you can just do for one winter. That's something that you have to do while you're building the house. Um, another thing that's important when you build your house is choosing really high quality, well insulated windows. Um, you know, leaky old windows are going to be letting in a lot of cold air. And then in terms of actual life in during the winter, um, you mentioned it, you know, any, any water, any water pipes that are outside of the house are going to need to be heated, um, to prevent them from freezing. Um, and any propane. So like you have an on-demand hot water heater as I do, um, mine requires a constant source of propane and electricity because it, it actually needs to keep itself warm in the winter. So it'll actually turn itself on for a couple seconds to prevent the kind of internals from freezing. Um, and so, you know, for me, that has meant rigging up a, a battery backup for the propane hot water heater. So that way, even during a power outage, the hot water heater itself is able to keep itself warm. So can you talk about the underhouse insulation as well? Um, um, whether how Did you also use spray foam in your floor? And uh, do you actually put skirting around your house at all? Yeah, yes and yes. So um, there is spray foam in my floor, and it's it's four inches all around floors, Ooh, walls, wow. and ceilings. That's our, um, like our a million? <laughs> no, it's actually, you know, so it's about R25. Phew. Um, are wow. 21 to 25. It's not like, you know, they spray it in there. So it's not like an even three in, they say they're giving you three inches at R7, but there are, you know, so that would bring you to 21, but there are some places where it's thicker, some places where it's thinner. Um, I would actually, so what I've been seeing lately is, um, people will just spray foam the whole underside of the trailer. 
And that actually gives you more insulation than just the three inches. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting solution because another problem that people have is, you know, what to put on the outside underneath of your trailer. You know, what material is it? Is it metal, which is going to be heavy and potentially corrosive? Is it going to be treated plywood? What is it going to be? And so you just spray foam the crap out of it um, and get more insulation than just that three and a half inches of spray foam. Hmm. That's very um, technical advice. Yeah. Spray and I actually think, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually think that, so for, I have found, you know, I, I guess I, there's no way other way of putting it is that I was kind of disappointed by how cold my tiny house felt, hmm. um, even with all the insulation. And I think, you know, when I was, First, getting into tiny houses, really the only information out there was what was on Tumbleweed's website, and you know they kind of touted that their that their tiny houses would stay warm in Alaska, like that they're so easy to heat um, because they're so tiny. But the reality is that, you know, I don't know the, the way I explain this is like in the house you grew up in, did you have the cold bedroom? And like the reason that you might have the cold bedroom is because it was on the outside wall. Um, cause I did, I had the cold bedroom growing up. And so your tiny house is all outside walls. Mm-hmm. There's no interior room that stay to like trap heat and stay warm. It's everything, every wall is exposed to the outside. So it might heat up quickly, but it also cools off fairly quickly as well. Um, and just if you've never lived in a, essentially in a trailer before, which I hadn't, or, or a house that is floating over the ground rather than attached to the ground, um, you know, if, if you live, grew up in a house with a basement or that's what you're used to, the air below your feet in that basement is going to be 55 degrees. Cause that's the temperature of the earth, like all year round. Whereas in the tiny house, you know, if it's negative 20 outside, it is negative 20 underneath the tiny house. And that is the air that's touching the bottom side of yeah. the house. So cold floor. Um, I do skirt around the house. I use hay bales. Um, the, the method that I've found best is to put the hay bales in, wrap them in black, you know, those big contractor trash bags. Um, and they actually stay pretty fresh. I've actually used the hay after the winter for my compost pile and for other things on the property. Um, and that really helps cut down the wind underneath the house yeah <laughs> there goes that ending again so yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that, that that whole thing could basically be your next book really yeah it could, again, actually. that's a real detailed thing mm-hmm. that most people aren't going to think about mm-hmm. it's going to be different in vermont and oregon than hawaii mm-hmm. but all really relevant mm-hmm. <laughs> well i've heard I of using hay bales before but i had never heard of putting them in black contractor bags before so oh. again that was an because some people use hay bales, but I think it was you, Ethan, that said when you used them and you didn't put them in the black contractor bag, you couldn't even move them by, by the spring oh, yeah, because they, they're so they saturated rock. with water. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, that's, I don't know if you've ever heard of like hay bale gardens. It's this kind of cool thing you can do in the city where you, you get a hay bale, you, you soak it with water oh, yeah. and it, it basically turns to compost on the inside mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And then you can grow tomatoes or mm-hmm. flowers or whatever inside of it. And it supposedly works really well, but my ex husband yeah, does that. If you don't wrap those hay bales, they they turn into compost and they become. I mean, they weigh over a hundred pounds and they're wet and 
just it sucks moving them. Interesting. So, Ethan, what do you think? What do you, as we come to a close in this episode, what what do you think? Um, where do you think the tiny house movement is headed? Well, I you know based on the news I've just been hearing lately, I think that tiny houses are headed toward some kind of legalization. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but you know Andrew Morrison, Andrew and Gabriella Morrison, are going b- before the uh, the IRC <clears throat> council to to get tiny houses written into the uh, residential code. Um, which are you is really be in Kansas City? Are you going? No, no, I'm not. I wish I could. I know, me too. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I think that it's headed toward some kind of of general acceptance. I know that's not going to be an overnight thing, even if they do get accepted into the code. Um, but I actually, I think that the future of tiny houses is not tiny houses on wheels. Um, I think that the trailers and the wheels have been um, a crutch for getting around the laws and allowing people to build without permission because, you know, they haven't been able to get permission to build and live in, you know, 150 square foot dwellings. But I think that as the tiny house concept gets more widely accepted, I think we'll see less houses on wheels. The people who really, truly do want to be mobile will still build on wheels. But for for a lot of us, the wheels are kind of a um, a crutch that I think are going to go away. Do you think that, that though, that um, some people, like people we've talked with on the show, um, would continue to build on a trailer because they don't have the means to get land to put something permanent on? Yes, I do think that that is one of the factors in building on wheels, but I also think that houses on skids or houses built with essentially the base of a shipping container Mm -hmm. are transportable. Um, They're not as easily transportable, but they, you know, not having to build on a trailer and not having to adhere to that 13 and a half foot height requirement and that eight foot six width requirement really opens up a lot of better design possibilities in my opinion yeah Um, yeah i do agree with you on the fact that for a lot of people it's a crutch um but i however i decided to build my second one now um also on a trailer just from the perspective of it's way more flexible my life is not just turned out how i wanted it to be and i would have never thought you know 20 years ago i'd be living in oregon so so for me you're correct it is a sort of a convenient crutch um, that I don't have to, quote unquote, ask permission either to build it or to move it. But yeah, on the absolutely. flip side, for me, the flexibility is is a t- provides a ton of value. Do you mean the mobility flexibility or the fl- correct? Okay. Yeah. If I get another job in another state, right. if you know. Um, yeah. And I, I would say that that you are, you know, building a house on wheels makes sense from what it sounds like, from what I know about your life. Um but then for other people, they're just doing it on wheels because they don't want to engage with the power structure. You know, they maybe own a house, mm-hmm. they have a backyard, they want to put a tiny house in there, and they just can't because their town zoning says, no, you can't put an accessory dwelling in your yard. Mm-hmm. And so they do it on wheels. But, you know, and they spend $5,000 on a trailer, which could go quite a long way in terms of a stationary tiny house, yeah. you know, n- avoiding that trailer expense. That's a good point. 
So before we close for the listeners, I do want to sort of backtrack just a couple of steps. So the IRC is called the International Residential Code. Um, and basically it's the federal level uh, coding. And so what um, Ethan is referring to basically is that tiny houses have not been acknowledged at the federal level. And so we, we have a really short window of opportunity and a really awesome opportunity um, to get them written into the code um, that as I understand it will be effective in 2018. So not immediate, the wheels of the financial government or the federal government move very slowly. Because they're really tiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're really tiny wheels in the federal move, government yeah. level. So yeah, I agree with you. Really, really exciting. I wish I could be in, <clears throat> in Kansas City to support my tiny house brothers and sisters. Nice. <laughs> so, um, so wow. So we're at the end of our show. Um, thank you so much, listeners, for yet bearing with us for another one of these boring <laughs> ass shows. Off um, the cuff. Off the cuff questions, no planning whatsoever. And next week, though, we have planned a really interesting interview. We're going to, not to say that this one wasn't, we're going to be talking to a guy who lives in an airline, uh, a decommissioned airline who, that he plopped down in the middle of a forest in Oregon. And he was also planning to put another one somewhere in Japan. Really? Yeah. So it should be very interesting. Bruce Campbell Bruce is a Campbell. very interesting gentleman. I want to talk to him about the Evil Dead, though. That's my questions. The Evil Dead? Anybody? Nobody? No. Oh, come on. Bruce no. Campbell, the actor uh, that lives in Ashland? I didn't known know. Known as the Chin? I don't know. Anything. Anyway. Oh, I know who that guy is. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know he lived in Ashland. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Yeah, off the rails. Poof. <laughs> anyway, it flew right over your head. Exactly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Get ready, listeners. With that, you yes. say goodbye. goodbye. See ya, be ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>